Hello and welcome to Valley West Cinemas. I'm your host Aaron, and this is the podcast where we take a group of related films and eliminate all but three. I have my list and my red pen ready because today we're discussing weather disaster movies. These films kind of exist as a subgenre of the overall disaster movie formula. For decades, we had movies that were called disaster films, like in the 70s, we had The Poseidon Adventure and The Towering Inferno. It was an idea of star-studded movies full of famous faces. And then as they came back in the 90s, we got Independence Day, Volcano, Dante's Peak, Deep Impact. The idea that persisted across both decades is you stack these films with famous faces or faces that you kind of recognize, and you watch people get picked off one by one in these horrible scenarios like a ship that's tipped over or a building that's on fire or a volcano destroying Los Angeles. Today's films are specifically the disaster films that are driven by weather. Some films like Wizard of Oz begin with a tornado or something that sets the movie in motion, but these movies are specifically about the weather disaster. The films we'll be discussing today are Twister, The Day After Tomorrow, The Perfect Storm, Crawl, Geostorm, Into the Storm, Everest, Hard Rain, Sharknado, and The Hurricane Heist. It's probably best to just start with the biggest and most likely one to survive this episode, Twister. Twister, when it came out, was a massive hit. It doesn't get a lot of attention now, I'm not sure why. Some of the special effects don't entirely hold up, but you have to remember that Twister came out in 1996. This was way early in the life cycle of, of CG. Thankfully, there are still a lot of practical effects, real disaster, cars and things getting thrown around, and it looks great. The real destruction looks fantastic. I would call Twister a pure popcorn movie. I feel like if Twister was made today, it would be more of a bummer. It wouldn't be fun. Twister is a fun movie. It's full of likable characters that are sure, you know, they're kind of caricatures, and that's fine. And as we talk about other movies on this list, you'll see examples of movies where you don't care about anybody. But in Twister, you have character actors like Alan Ruck from Ferris Bueller and Speed, and Philip Seymour Hoffman before he was famous. It's such a slight, simple character, but you like him, because they actually give these very small roles traits. It's something that a lot of these other movies we'll talk about are kind of lacking, and it's one of the reasons why Twister is fun. You like everybody. The story is a little dumb. The rekindled romance between these almost divorced main characters, sure, you don't really care. It doesn't really matter. Bill Paxton's fiance with the over-the-top Texas accent is played for laughs. And when she leaves him because she sees that he misses his old life, everybody's just kind of okay with it. The romance aspect isn't really there in the film, thankfully. As an audience, you see two good-looking actors with a history and you want them to be together. That's just the way we've been trained with film. But Twister doesn't really care about that, and that's good. There is a lot of silly stuff like the Twisters, the Tornadoes, roaring. <laughs> and they seem to be almost stalking the main characters. But, you know, there's no movie otherwise. We do have to talk a bit about how Twister changed movies. And I know that feels like a very big statement, and it's not hyperbolic. And one of those was the original trailer for the film. The camera is looking through the windshield of a car, and the tornado drops a tractor, I think, and the wheel flies off of the tractor and through the windshield and into the camera. That's something we see all the time now. Every Sony Spider-Man movie ends with Spider-Man swinging into the camera. We're so used to that now. But when the Twister trailer came out, that tire flying into the camera, through the windshield into the camera, was like nothing we had ever seen before. It was new. It was so exciting. And it's weird now, there's not a lot of new things in film. We can do anything now with special effects. Seeing that the first time, though, was jaw-dropping. And the other thing that Twister changed was it opened the first weekend of May, 
And back then, the summer movie season, you know how in summer every weekend is a gigantic movie, that didn't start until Memorial Day. Memorial Day was the start of the summer movie season because for decades, January to April was a dead zone. Every once in a while, you'd have an Oscar movie that would play from December all the way through. Sometimes you'd have Wayne's World or Star Wars, the special editions. Sometimes there would be something that would break out. And summer didn't start until Memorial Day. So when Warner Brothers and Universal put Twister on the first weekend of May, it changed the industry. Because now, the first weekend of May is when the big summer movie season begins. And even the last weekend of April now is when the Fast and the Furious movies or the Avengers movies come out. Twister opened and it was such a huge success that the entire summer movie calendar shifted. It was the one that proved you could open a big movie without waiting for Memorial Day. It's not a smart film. There are so many continuity errors or things that don't completely make sense, such as they're supposed to be driving through a storm. And if you look up to the side, you'll see normal traffic driving by <laughs> as if it's just any other day. Things like that. Really silly things where if you pay attention to the background of Twister, you could tell that the world is fine. But who cares? It's, it's a good movie. It's a fun movie. It's one of the somewhat uncommon big special effects films where you don't hate the human characters. You look at Transformers and the human characters don't matter and you hate them and you just want them to go away because you want to watch Transformers. Or Into the Storm, which we'll get to on this list, where you have no reason to care about anybody. The human drama is always so threadbare, who cares? Nobody ever has personality in these things because they're just spending money on special effects. Twister, I mean, I'll, I'll say it's cartoony. There are cartoony characters and Carrie Elwes has sort of a mustache twirling villain role. He's a little silly. I don't know why there's a bad guy weatherman. <laughs> Whatever. I like Twister. I do. And it is definitely more than likely surviving this episode. Since I mentioned it, let's go ahead and talk about Into the Storm. Into the Storm is about a high school in a small town that gets hit by a series of tornadoes. And it's shot in a very strange found footage, but not sort of way. They had the idea of making a Blair Witch or Cloverfield style found footage weather disaster movie. Imagine if Twister was a found footage movie, kind of like that. That's a neat idea. Except it kind of goes back and forth. Some of it is found footage. Some of it is shot as if it would be found footage, but there's no third character there with a the camera in the world of the film. And sometimes it's just regular shots. It's very strange. It's almost as if the camera is an invisible character because... In all these other movies, there is a character in the movie who has a camera. So you hear them, they're talking, you know they're the ones filming it, and you're allegedly seeing their footage. And there is some of that in Into the Storm, but the whole movie is not that. Except even the stuff that is not meant to be that is filmed in the same way. It's very disjointed. It's very strange. The plus side of Into the Storm is that the action scenes, the scenes with the weather, are really exciting, actually. The problem is... You don't care about any of the characters. I can almost recommend Into the Storm just because the storm scenes are cool. If this was just a list of best storm scenes, I would pick it. I would pick Into the Storm, but I'm not. So I'm going to go ahead and cross it off. The Day After Tomorrow, I feel somewhat bad because when The Day After Tomorrow came out, it was very well liked. People enjoyed it a lot. It follows the Godzilla and Independence Day formula of a big cast of quirky characters and recognizable faces. Personally, I like 2012 better. 2012 isn't really a weather movie, so it's not on this list. My problem with The Day After Tomorrow is it comes off as a little silly, people having to 
run from the weather as if it's some malicious force, an invisible line of cold spreading and freezing things and people running from it. There's a very poor sequence with wolves on a ship. The wolves look terrible. I don't like that sequence at all. There are good parts. There's a sequence actually where a character's walking across a snow-covered landscape and he falls through the ice, through the snow, and it turns out he was on top of a mall and he's actually falling through the skylight of the mall. What I want in these movies is more stuff like that, where you take something that we know, like a mall, and turn it into something unusual. And you don't expect a mall to be completely covered in snow and somebody falling through the roof. That's a fun idea. That's a neat idea. I like that. I want more moments like that. Some of the disaster sequences are cool. People trying to run from floods, the giant wave hitting the city. It looks really good. We've already seen waves hitting cities in other movies. Deep Impact has that sequence as well, but Day After Tomorrow being a few years later looks exponentially better. And it does have that really iconic frozen Statue of Liberty in it. I will, ah, I hate to do it, I will hang on to The Day After Tomorrow for now. It's the first of two Jake Gyllenhaal movies on here, (laughs) on this list. I don't like it though. I'm only keeping it because I know that a lot of people enjoy it. It was a very big hit. It's difficult to keep it because other films by the same director that are very similarly made to disaster films are better to me. Deep Impact is better than The Day After Tomorrow as well. Those aren't on this list though, so I will hang on to it for the moment. Not happy about it, but I'm going to hang on to it for the moment because although I don't care for it, I know people do, or people have at least. I don't know if anybody I don't know if anybody cares now, but it was popular enough to be mocked on an episode of South Park. Next is The Perfect Storm. I read the book of Perfect Storm by Sebastian Younger. It's great. It's a great book. It exists in sort of this gray space between fiction and nonfiction where the story is real. The Andrea Gale, the people on the boat, as you see them in the movie, they are real. The storm is real. That really happened. That gigantic, horrible storm was real. The problem is, is that we don't know what actually happened on the boat. Everything in the book about what happened on the boat is speculation. Everything that happens on the boat in the movie is even more fictionalized because it's the Hollywood filter of a movie. At least in the book, they admit to somewhat of guesswork based on what these boats do, what other captains and other boats would do in these situations. They admit that they're speculating. And halfway through the book, the Andrea Gale, the boat, is presumed lost and everybody is dead. And the rest of the book is about other rescue missions that were required during that storm. They hint on some of that in the movie. There is some back and forth in the movie where they cut from the main boat with George Clooney and Mark Wahlberg, and weirdly, John C. Riley. The movie cuts back and forth occasionally with this yacht that's in trouble with some regular people on it and a helicopter mission to rescue them. A lot more of the book is about that. I like the director of The Perfect Storm. It was made by Wolfgang Peterson, who made Troy and Das Boat and The NeverEnding Story. I was actually lucky enough to meet him once, but I don't care for The Perfect Storm. And because of the scenes where they were filming in a real water tank, the noise required almost all of the lines of dialogue to be recorded later. They do a good job matching up the mouths and making it seem like the words are coming out of them. But you lose a lot when you don't have on-set audio, when you don't really hear them yelling through the wind and the rain. I like Clooney in it. I like Wahlberg in it. I kind of hate the ending of The Perfect Storm. After the ship sinks, Mark Wahlberg is by himself on the ocean on these giant waves and they superimpose the face of his wife or girlfriend, and you hear him narrating, I'm thinking of you. And it's just so, it's not even cheesy. I would say it's weird. It very much takes you out of the film. 
I know they were going for some sort of dramatic moment, but it is really false. It does not work at all. I do not recommend it. I recommend the book. I like the book a lot. If I had to choose between The Perfect Storm or The Day After Tomorrow, that's actually really tough because honestly, I don't want, <laughs> I don't want to rewatch either of those. Uh, I'm going to hold on to that thought for now. I don't know which one I would keep. Both of them kind of land in that same spot where they were huge hits. People clearly like them. I'm just the one that doesn't. Let's talk about a good one. The next one is Crawl. Crawl is a very good movie, mostly. It was produced by Sam Raimi. It was directed by Alex Aja, who also did Prana 3D, The Hills Have Eyes, Mirrors, and the French film High Tension, which is part of their French new wave of horror that came out in the early 2000s, like Martyrs and Inside and Frontier. I recommend all of those. Crawl is about a woman visiting her dad and a storm hits and it floods their house and alligators or crocodiles. Actually, I'm not sure which one. Tara would know, <laughs> but she's not here today. They get attacked in their home. And so there's a whole bunch of sequences in a flooded house with crocodiles trying to attack her or eat her. And some people show up to rescue them and they get attacked. It's mostly a single location film. It's mostly in their flooded house with the rain constantly coming down. I was super impressed with what we see later because eventually you do see the surrounding area, almost kind of like a cul-de-sac with a, another house and there's a gas station. It looks like a real flooded set. And I'm sure there's a mixture of, of special effects in there or green screens and hopefully even some practicals. I'm not sure if they built a few fake houses and a gas station in a giant tank. But when you're in the open area and you see it looks like a real flooded area, I was very impressed. Barry Pepper plays the dad. He was the sniper in Saving Private Ryan. He's always good. He never really became that famous. Being in Battlefield Earth probably didn't do him any favors. If you haven't seen Crawl and you are into animal attack movies, like we've talked about in a previous episode, I would say check it out. It probably plays a little better on home video than in theaters. Truthfully, I was a little bored. For me, Crawl was a little too long for the setup, but it was good. It's a good movie. I don't know if it'll be one of the three surviving films, but I'm going to hang on to Crawl for now. I'm still torn because I think the general public would pick Day After Tomorrow over Crawl. The next one is Geostorm, which was... <laughs> Geostorm is probably more known for an episode of another podcast called How Did This Get Made, where they spend an hour and a half really tearing into it. Geostorm has almost become a legendary dumb film. It is by all means not a good movie. It's so silly, so dumb. It was made by Dean Devlin, who used to work with Roland Emmerich. So those early Roland Emmerich movies like Independence Day, Godzilla, Day After Tomorrow, you might notice the theme here. He was a producing partner on those films. And so Geostorm is his first film by himself, trying to recapture that Roland Emmerich magic. The film had trailers that were serious and trailers that were fun, set to poppy rock music, which makes me think that the film didn't really know exactly what identity it really wanted to have. It has a big sprawling cast, Andy Garcia, Gerard Butler. It's about a satellite system that surrounds the globe that can actually stop bad weather from occurring or can control weather. And one of the greater faults of the film to me is that a human person sabotages it for their own gains instead of it just going wrong. I'd much rather have technology gone wrong than have a human villain in a weather disaster movie. Giant blocks of ice raining down on Hong Kong, giant tidal waves, and electric storms that are tearing freeway overpasses apart because it's a global storm that's essentially undefined, other than it's a geostorm. I like the science gone wrong. I don't like the conspiracy stuff. Normally, I like when a film tries to mix or balance unusual tones. With Geostorm, though, 
they try to make this sort of adventurous, fun tone when a billion people die. <laughs> and I'm not sensitive to it. I know it's just a fun adventure movie. I love Independence Day, and clearly a lot of people die. There's usually some sort of acknowledgement. There's some sort of smaller scene where somebody is sad. In Independence Day, they use the death of the First Lady as the means to sort of humanize that loss. She represents everyone. There's usually some moment where it slows down to say, oh, this is serious. And it can be just one part, just something. Geostorm is more like, hey, isn't it cool watching this airplane fall out of the sky and land on a city? It's not like Man of Steel where I get 9-11 imagery, but I think that the movie needed one element of seriousness, and they could have made almost the exact same movie they made, just give some semblance of acknowledgement of the terror of this actual situation. The movie doesn't have to be about that. It doesn't have to be a serious movie. You can still make the fluff. Independence Day is kind of fluffy. You can still do that. But humanize the global tragedy in at least one way. Give us one human being something, just something. As it is, Geostorm is a very, very mixed bag. And actually, I kind of mean that in an almost literal sense. Imagine just throwing in a whole bunch of ideas in a bag and shaking it up and throwing it out onto a script of a disaster movie. And there you go. It's Geostorm. It is by no means good, but it could be fun in a, wow, this is dumb sort of way. That's not enough for me. I'm crossing it off. There is another dumb fun on this list that we'll get to. And I'll explain why the other one works and Geostorm doesn't. Let's go ahead and get to that other dumb one then. Sharknado. <laughs> Sharknado all the way back in 2013. It's hard to believe it's been that long. Sharknado became a bit of a global phenomenon. It sort of broke Twitter when it came out. It's one of the rare sci-fi channel movies to be so popular that it played in theaters a week or two later. It has absolutely 100% inner pop culture. The sequels aren't great, but I love Sharknado. And I think what makes it work is that it knows how dumb it is. And it doesn't try to be dumb on purpose. Sharknado was made by The Asylum. They make a lot of those mockbusters for the sci-fi channel, kind of like when Transformers comes out, they'll release a movie called Transmorphers, and so on. And a lot of those are pretty terrible because, well, usually they're just really, really bad. <laughs> but also, too, the reason why some of those are terrible and why I don't care for the Sharknado sequels is that those movies act like they're in on the joke. There's a difference between being dumb on purpose and pointing out to the audience, hey, isn't this dumb? Why aren't you laughing? Ha ha ha, we're so dumb. Isn't this silly? Dumb on purpose can work. It's very hard to pull off. The first Sharknado does it, and the way it does it is because it takes this completely stupid premise, knowingly stupid, and all of the characters and actors pretend like it's serious. There is no winking at the camera in the first film. The sequels absolutely do it. But in the first film, the characters treat it seriously. They act like it's a real situation. And you mix that with a very low budget and who cares renegade filmmaking. And you end up with a movie like Sharknado that to me is a classic. It's great. I love it. And there is stupid stuff. It's a stupid premise. There's a part in the film where they're in a flooded house and they're up on the second floor and there are sharks in their house and they have to escape. And they all do a, you know, a one, two, three and they run and it cuts to outside and them running out the front door. How are they running out the front door if their house is flooded? <laughs> That's the kind of stupidity in Sharknado. I don't even know if that counts as a continuity error because I'm 100% sure the filmmakers knew what they were doing. But why Sharknado works so well is that there's no joke. There's no wink. There's no acknowledgement. It's up to you as an audience to go, hey, wait a minute. The makers don't care, but they treat it like it's real. 
And that's the gold. That's what makes it so perfect. And it's also the same reason why the sequels are so terrible, because the sequels are all shark puns and, hey, look, this somewhat famous guy like Andy Dick or Jared from Subway, a shark just flew through the middle of an airplane and bit off Will Wheaton's head. Ha ha ha. And once you're in on the joke, it's really hard to replicate that. That's why the first Birdemic is gold and Birdemic 2 is awful. The Sharknado filmmakers, they know exactly how dumb the premise is, but they never film it like it's dumb. They film it like it's cheap, and they absolutely have a who-cares attitude when it comes to realism. They don't care. If that kind of goofiness doesn't work for you, then you will hate it. I am, believe it or not, hanging on to Sharknado. It is a film to me that is worth seeing. Some people might refer to it as a so-bad-it's-good movie, but that's not right. They weren't oblivious, and again, that's how The Room is. The Room was made by somebody who was oblivious. That is a so-bad-it's-good. Their ineptitude is what makes it good. Sharknado is not inept. Everything you see is on purpose. So I would not call it a so-bad-it's-good. I would say it's just good. If you take it as a comedy and you know exactly what you're in for, then there is a lot of joy to be had. There are so many fun comedies like Ace Ventura, where if you try to say, that's not realistic, then what's the point? Then why are you watching it? Ace Ventura or The Mask or even Liar Liar do not deserve any more credit than Sharknado just because they're not about tornadoes made of sharks, you know? Those comedy premises are just as dumb. The next I'm going to cross off is The Hurricane Heist, which weirdly came out in 2018. It feels like forever ago. The pandemic has changed the way we observe time. (laughs) You know, 2018 was so long ago. This movie feels way older than that. The Hurricane Heist is about a group of criminals that are trying to rob $600 million worth of old currency. It was made by the guy who did the first Fast and Furious and Triple X. It's not good. They're going for that Triple X and Fast and Furious sort of attitude where it's just fun. It's just action. It's goofy characters. It's unreal scenarios of people hanging out a door while wind is pulling them up and millions of dollars are swirling around them. It's just not any good. I know what they were trying for. I wish they had succeeded because it's definitely one of those movies where you wish it was more than it was. It could have been good. It could have been neat, but it wasn't. Hurricane Heist does have Maggie Grace from Lost, Fear the Walking Dead, Taken. Uh, She was in Lockout, which if you have not seen Lockout, that's a good time. It's like Escape from New York in space. If you miss late 80s action movies where the hero always had a quip after they killed someone, they just took someone's life, and they want to say a pun, like Die Hard and Commando, those sort of things, Lockout is like an 80s action movie that came out 25 years later. I recommend it. I recommend Lockout. And Maggie Grace is usually pretty reliable. I like her, but Hurricane Ice is just not any good. I try not to say meh. It's not a very descriptive criticism, but if a movie could be the word meh, that's the Hurricane Heist. One thing that's interesting about the Hurricane Heist, though, as far as inflation, everyone's favorite subject on a movie podcast, inflation. But in the Hurricane Heist, they are trying to steal $600 million. In Hard Rain, which is on our list today, the characters are trying to steal $3 million. So in 20 years, these grand heists went from $3 million to $600 million. In Hard Rain, a major storm comes through at the same time that a group of criminals led by Morgan Freeman are robbing an armored car, and the armored car driver, played by Christian Slater, decides to fight back and hide the money. The storm gets worse, and it floods. You have chest-high water in this town, so you see a lot of flooded churches and houses and schools at the same time that criminals are shooting at Christian Slater and trying to chase him down, and then the town sheriff realizes that there's $3 million hidden somewhere and decides to become a bad guy and steal it for himself. Hard Rain also has Betty White. I miss her. 
Hard Rain was sold on the concept of Morgan Freeman actually playing a bad guy because after Driving Miss Daisy, Shawshank, even today, people want their lives narrated by Morgan Freeman. Although many people forget that his first Oscar nomination for Street Smart was him playing a bad guy. So he's done it before. But in Hard Rain, he's the main villain who ends up being a little noble, of course, because the real villain ends up being the sheriff. The movie was also sold on the cool practical effects of riding jet skis through a school, driving jet skis like in between the lockers and stuff. It's kind of a cool scene. The cast also has Minnie Driver and the voice of Carl from Up. There's a lot of people in it. There's a really cool moment. It's in the trailer, so you can check out the trailer and and see it without having to watch the movie. But when the sheriff decides to be a bad guy, you see his turn. It's a really neat moment. One of his deputies yells at him, but you're the sheriff. And he turns with this face and says, I'm the what? And it just announces his turn to be a bad guy. It's a cool moment. It's probably the best moment in the movie. I wouldn't call it a bad movie. I just don't care about it at all. I never need to revisit it. It's very 90s. The late 90s, early 2000s is a weird era for these movies. You know, Van Damme's career, Seagal, Stallone, even Schwarzenegger, their action careers had all sort of dwindled. Action movies around the time were kind of turning into like the peacemaker. And so Hard Rain, even in 98, was kind of a throwback. If Hard Rain had been made in the 80s, I think it would be a classic. It would be like Point Break. People would be raving about it. But since it came out in 98, by then, no one really cared anymore. I don't care now. Some movies you revisit and they turn out to be hidden gems. Hard Rain is not that. The last one on our list is Everest. This one's fairly recent, and it has a very stacked cast with Jake Gyllenhaal, John Hawks, Kira Knightley, Josh Brolin, quite a few other recognizable people. The movie Everest is about the 1996 disaster on the mountain where eight climbers and I think three Sherpas died. It was the most deaths ever in one day on the mountain. Two teams of climbers got stuck during a storm on their descent, and people were lost on the mountain. It was a terrible disaster. There is a book by John Krakauer called Into Thin Air. It's one of my all-time favorite books. 100% recommend that book. If you have any interest in nonfiction stories about disasters like this, I definitely recommend Into Thin Air. It's great. The problem with Everest, the movie, is that there are too many personalities. They don't seem to give everyone quite enough time because there are two teams of climbers, so you can't really focus on everyone. I get that. It's a movie. But to me, the movie fails all these characters. There are so many opportunities to show the fear and excitement of climbing this mountain and of having to walk across a ladder over a chasm. And a greater problem is that when they're wearing these big jackets and equipment and they all have beards and you have the swirling storm effects, you can't really tell them apart. You lose the drama of these people dying when you can't tell who they are. If anyone remembers IMAX used to make nature movies, IMAX used to only have 45-minute documentaries about rainforests, about the fires of Kuwait, about the space program, things like that. There was an IMAX Everest movie by McGillivray Freeman. They were there when this disaster happened. The IMAX crew was on the mountain. They helped with the rescue. In real life, one of the climbers was stuck on the mountain and he knew he was going to die. And they helped him via satellite phone call his wife, who was pregnant, and talk about the name of their baby and to tell her not to worry about him. And he died. And even talking about it kind of gives me goosebumps because that's such a sad moment and it's real. And the movie fails that moment. And in real life, the IMAX crew walked past the dead bodies on the way back up. They were still in the process of climbing. They had not made the ascent yet. The day before they were meant to go up is when the storm hit and all these people died. When people die on the mountain, a lot of times the bodies are left there. So the man who called his wife, his name was Rob Hall. 
he is still up there. His body is still on the mountain. And the next day after all this happened, the IMAX crew still had to film their movie. They were walking by these bodies as they were climbing to the summit. And these were people they knew because when you're on these climbing teams, you all climatize at base camps. You get to know each other. You're there for weeks. You don't just fly to the mountain and it's a day hike. It's it's a very involved process. So these were people they knew. And they touch on that a little bit in the IMAX documentary, which I don't think is streaming anywhere. You might be able to find a used copy on DVD somewhere. Just like this, it is also just called Everest. The documentary is way better. And there's so much potential there that the Jake Gyllenhaal, Josh Brolin, Everest movie is such a letdown. That's such a great story. There's so much human drama there. I'm crossing off the movie. I wish it was more. I wish it was great. I really do. That movie disappointed me. It did. That does leave me with five movies, and I can only pick three. I have Twister, The Day After Tomorrow, The Perfect Storm, Crawl, and Sharknado. I am keeping Twister. It's a classic. I would absolutely love for a pristine, amazing-looking, crystal-clear 4K UHD Blu-ray to come out. That would be awesome. I am keeping Sharknado. Before anyone rolls their eyes, I'll just reiterate, like I said, they knew exactly what they were making. Is the scenario dumb? Who cares? Is the acting bad? Who cares? So that leaves Day After Tomorrow, Perfect Storm, and Crawl. This is a little tough because two of them were absolutely bigger films, seen by way more people, and I assume liked by way more people. Crawl was a moderate success. To me, Crawl is a better movie, but man, it should have been 40 minutes shorter. I will cross off Perfect Storm. I just can't really support that film. Uh, I'm going to go against my own instincts. I'm going to choose what I think most people would pick. Crawl is the better film, but I'm going to cross it off. I am. I'm going to go with the popular choice on this one. And so, now playing this week at Valley West Cinemas are Twister, Sharknado, and The Day After Tomorrow. What do you think? Let us know on Twitter at VWestCinemas and on Instagram at ValleyWestCinemas underscore podcast. If you'd like to support the show, please visit Patreon.com slash Podcast. And of course, please rate and review wherever you listen. That helps us a ton. I'm your host, Aaron. Thank you for listening.